is uh, where, are, where did our Old Testament come from? And how do we know that what we have is what God wants us to have? That, that kind of thing. Alright, so let me get situated. Uh, Mike. I gotta get a I gotta get a better hookup here. I'll put it over here. I don't want the beard hair rustling on it. Sound like I'm outside. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, kids, whenever I do cut it, I'm, I'll cut it one of these days. I've come close several times. Sherry talks me off the ledge. No, I told but I think if I ever do, then I'll, I'll let the kids do it. Because they're always wanting to cut it. So I think that'd be funny. The Mighty to, Warriors? Yeah, the Mighty Warriors. Let them each cut it. Let them each, you know, maybe start at the bottom and work our way up. Every kid gets, yeah. Then I'll glue it. I think. It probably would. It might. All right, here's a phone. Is this, whose phone is this? Yeah. All right, okay. So, on our handout. Last week we made it about halfway through, um, and again, what we're talking about is manuscript evidence, which is a, you know, the word manuscript means handwritten. We talked about that last week. Last week we went through the introduction of what manuscript evidence is. Um, Today we're going to finish a couple slides on that and then we'll launch into the Old Testament. So manuscript evidence is a high level is like where did our Bible come from uh, and what evidence do we have that what we have is what God wants us to have in a nutshell. So and I, I mentioned how it's a wild ride. I'm going to just review some of the slides. The main thing we talked about last week, the, the key takeaway that I wanted everyone to, to get where there's, there's two miracles involved in manuscript evidence. Uh, the first miracle is that God spoke to men and, and men put God's words on paper so he used man as a, a pen, basically. So that's the first miracle, that he got the words on paper. The second miracle is that God said he would preserve that word through the generations and we talked about that so there's the two miracles everyone believes the original miracle that God you know put put his word on paper everyone believes that you know that's God's word but what they don't believe is that he was able to preserve those copies through the ages to where we have them in our lap today uh, and then we talked about a couple books that God he made other books as well, the Book of Members, the Book of Works, and, and the Book of Life. You know, we know God has a Book of Life. We're all in it, hopefully. Once we trust Jesus as our Savior, He writes your name in that book. We want that book to be accurate. So the day we die, or the day we meet the Lord, our name is in that book. And He didn't misspell Jim and whatever. And so we trust Him to keep that book accurate, so why not trust Him to keep this word accurate? That was the gist. Uh, we talked about all the, the famous preachers that we all listen to on the radio. How they, all these guys believe in the original uh, inspiration but they don't believe that God can save that word. They don't believe in the preservation. Um, you know, We went through all that last week. And this is where most of Christianity is today. They think uh, that we have the just best copies we can have. 
and it's, it's got 2,000 years of human error injected into it. If you don't like one translation, you can use another. They're just kind of all the same, just copies that we have from the originals, which we do not have the originals anymore. And of course, we don't believe that here. We believe that God is big enough and had promised us to preserve his word till today. And these are the good guys that we talked about. So that's the choice that we all have to make in our own minds. Do we believe in those two miracles? Do we believe God can truly preserve his word? You know, where, where does each one of us sit on that fence? And a few questions there. If God inspired it, would he lose it? If God really did inspire it in the beginning, would he preserve it? He says he will. Uh, clicker's going. Here we go. Yeah, this was a good point. Would he preserve his word through men that don't even believe it? Um, and that really comes into play in the New Testament. We'll talk about a lot of that in the coming weeks. Uh, big, big issue here. If God, anything in life that's valuable, you know, jewels, money, anything that's valuable, someone's going to make a counterfeit to make a buck. Uh, and the devil's no different. God's word is... is is very valuable. So why wouldn't the devil be active in corrupting God's word? And of course he would. I mean, actually, the first time we hear the devil speak, we all know, is in Genesis 3.15 when he, he's questioning what God really said. You know, yea, hath God said. So the devil has been very active through history trying to corrupt that, that pure word. And that's what we'll talk about um, later on here. How can we tell the evidence? You know, we're going to look at the evidence to tell what's true and what's not. We talked about some ground rules. Bible's a spiritual book. Satan's wanting to counterfeit it. It's kind of blowing through. And and an, another point that is that Paul and all the apostles tell us, even during their time, people were already active. The devil was already active, corrupting Paul's letters. So. We know that. Uh, we went through the terms. Uh, lots of terms. These are all in your handout. That's what a manuscript looks like. That's what the original writings that Moses probably wrote on. He stretched out a, a calf skin or something. Uh, wrote a book on. I'm, I'm just going to kind of blow through. There's papyrus. It's from the papyrus plant in Egypt. Uh, that's what a codex is. In the manuscript evidence world, the, there's a lot of terms about codex. The Codex Aleppo, the Codex Sinaiticus, the Vaticanus. There's all these codexes. It's a fancy word of saying it's an old book that has scripture on it. And uh, that's what a codex looks like. It's just a calf skin or parchment bound together with leather. Uh, that's the original writings. Like, you know, I'd mentioned last week that until 800 AD, all of human writing was capital letters uh, because it'd be hard to write on those parchments. You know, it's like writing on a rough cardboard. You can't hardly make a curve like letter B. So they made B's with points. So before 800 AD, they wrote in all caps. Uh, after 800 or so, they started using lowercase letters. And that's, that's one way they can tell when they find like the Dead Sea Scrolls. You know, this is all caps, so this is early stuff. 
page through here. Yeah, it's a, and we'll talk about why 800. 800 is a pretty important date. Uh, there's some minuscule. I'm just gonna, man, I kind of blow through here. I didn't know how many new people we'd have this week. I think most of us were here last week, so this is probably kind of boring for you. That was our teaching point. Uh, and just again, there are no originals today. Anything that Paul or Peter, any of those guys wrote has been long gone. All we have are copies that God's preserved for us. Alright, so now we're going to start new stuff. Um, this is still a little bit of intro, but... So what do we have to prove, or what, what evidence do we have that we've collected over the years uh, regarding the, the Bible, the Old Testament and New Testament, that we use to study manuscript evidence? Let me grab a pointer here. I'm gonna get a pointer. So, all right, like I put here, original writings, none. We have no original writings. We have a lot of Hebrew manuscripts, copies, of course. Um, we've got around 11,000 manuscripts in Hebrew all over the world, libraries and, and museums all over the world. Um, the Dead Sea Scrolls is part of that and the various Geniza projects. And we'll talk about Genesis in a bit. Those are very interesting. So we have a lot of Hebrew. We have uh, a lot of Greek Bibles, Old Greek, that were copied um, early on. Uh, the oldest Greek copies we have are from around 350-ish AD. Uh, and we're gonna we'll talk about the Greek extensively next week because Greek is really New Testament, um, ancient versions. We have lots of Bibles, and this is what's interesting too with when you study history and the and the the migration of people. We have lots of Bibles that people copied early on and that have been found uh, and those Bibles were very instrumental in like shaping history and I think that's so interesting especially with the Roman Empire and, and we'll get into all that next week but the um, the, the Syrian Peshito is a big player now Syria it, can anyone think of anything significant about Syria okay, <laughs> Like all things COVID, I have went cheap. <laughs> Man, I tell you, these candy bars, Yeah, I remember like years ago when I was teaching uh, like the Bible books, uh, it was like 250 for a pack of six. Now it's like four something for four. So anyway, I went cheap. So anyway. Uh, Damascus. <laughs> yeah. Damascus. Damascus is in Syria? Yes, I'll give you a couple. You can give the grandkids or something. All right. Antioch is in Syria. Yeah, that's where uh, the people were first called Christians in Antioch. Syria, the Byzantine Empire, and we'll get into that next week. Syria was very key into really getting getting our Bibles uh, up and running and preserved for us today. So, the Syrian Peshito is a big player in why we have the word we have. Uh, the Slavics, the Gothics, uh, these are all good copies of Bibles that are the pure texts. They're not corrupt. 
They were used by people groups throughout Europe to get to us today. So this is kind of a, a good line of, of text. And we'll, we'll go to, through that a lot next week. So we have lots of old Bibles. We have, you know, we have Hebrew, we have got Greek, we got complete Bibles in other languages. And then we have a lot of writings. You know, last week I mentioned Polycarp and Papias and the boys. These are all friends and disciples of, of the original apostles. And they wrote lots of books and, and commentaries and where they recite scripture. And so we have that as well. So these are kind of things that we have to, uh, that we can look at to, to see if what we have is, is really what God wants us to have. Okay, this was just kind of Jim's site project. I, you know, I got, whenever I was reading about all these different, a second, all these different manuscripts we have all over the world, you know, I got thinking, what do we have of other, you know, ancient writings? So I kind of put this table together. You know, uh, these are all the ancient things that we all kind of revere and, and, and like. So like Homer, the Iliad, the Odyssey, you know, those old plays about the Trojan Wars. You know, everybody loves those. We've only got like 600 copies of those left. You know, and all these... All these Greek writers, actually Paul even talked about, uh, I think it was Epimenides. Yeah, yeah, I think it was in Titus. Yeah, yeah, he, he talked, this, this guy was real famous back in Paul's time. Had a lot of writings, everybody thought he was great. Uh, nothing, we got nothing from the guy. Uh, and so all the way down, Aristotle, as famous as he is, we don't have much. Plato, we got just very few. Pliny, the, these are historians. Caesar, this is the first Roman Caesar that took Jerusalem. I uh, don't have hardly nothing from him. Even Shakespeare. I mean, we all like, well, you know, Billy, we don't have much left from him. I read an article about him that he, he kind of hand wrote most of his stuff in some kind of weird Shakespeare shorthand. So we don't, no one could really decipher it. So we don't really have a lot of copies. But man, look at the old, old New Testament. We have thousands of these guys. So these are valuable that through history we've mankind has been very careful to keep lots of copies around. So I think that's interesting. So nobody doubts all those others, but Good point, they yeah. Doubt, they doubt the Bible. That's a good point, Steve. I didn't think of that. Yeah, we don't doubt all that. Yeah, when you get to the Bible it's that's gets really rough. Alright. So yeah, now we're shifting gears. That was all the intro. Evidence. I gotta get a drink. Got 45 minutes. Should be plenty. So when you say uh, there's a, a number of copies, copies of what? The original like, Greeks, like you have these, the guys that I was just talking to, yeah. talking about. Yeah, like their works. Like Homer wrote those plays. No, I mean like Old and New Testament. Are you talking about pieces? Pieces, of pieces. Original. Okay. Yeah, there are not eleven thousand and twenty-five thousand Bibles. Right. So. Yeah, a lot of them are the size of a credit cards. Pieces of evidence okay. that we have. <laughs> yeah, and that's where the scholars try to trip us up. Uh, there are so many manuscripts, and a lot of them are just credit cards. Uh, some of them are books. Um, different different things. But yeah, whenever they piece all those together, they can kind of compare like what we got. So. Okay. Alright, so now we'll get into the Old Testament. So here's what I thought I was, I was going to do. 
the the Old Testament and the New Testament preservation what we have today are very different in, in their movement through history and, and how we got them. So I'm going to talk about, I'm going to split them up. We're going to talk about Old Testament today. Where do we get our Old Testament? Uh, then I'll start New Testament next Sunday. The New Testament's a lot more complicated, uh, lots of moving parts, but the, New Te- the Old Testament is pretty simple, luckily. Um, it's pretty easy to trace what's pure and what God wants us to have. So, with that, um, on our handout, I think we're on page 5. Um, this is where the actual New Testament starts. Alright, so what I was going to do, I, I, you know, I, I teach the kids, so I'm, I'm used to teaching with, i got some of this stuff here. When Moses started out, I wish that was, let's see here, I'll put my Bible here. When Moses started out, he wrote the, uh, he wrote the, the original five books, you know, Genesis, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Leviticus. Moses wrote the first five books. There was no question that he was the author. Uh, the Jewish people took Moses' books, these aren't authentic, by the way, these aren't real. But Moses took the original, or the Jews took Moses' original writings. Uh, they preserved them. They call them the law. So these first five books of Moses, and, and we know this because we've been around here a while, that's called the law. And the Jews were very good about keeping the law preserved. All right, so then they get they got another category called the prophets. And these are all like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, actually Daniel's not in there, but uh, Ezekiel, all the prophets, all the minor prophets. <coughs> the Jews lump this together and call this the prophets. And then they have the writings. And this would be Psalms, uh, Proverbs, the, the wisdom books, Job, Psalms, Song of Solomon, things like that. This is the way our Jewish friends define their Hebrew Hebrew Bible. See, we call it the Old Testament. Of course, they don't have a New Testament. They just have the Hebrew Bible. This is what the Jews call Hebrew Bible. This is what they preserve. So, and I, I kind of put them up here. And they have words for them. I don't think this works. Yeah, it doesn't. Torah, we've all heard of the Torah. That's these first five books. The prophets, they call that the Nevium. And the, the writings, they call the Ketuvim. Kings are in the prophets. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Ezra and Nehemiah is one book. They ha- and I, I put on your handout the difference in numbers. You know, we bust out 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles. They don't. So the Jews have the, the different number of books than we do, but it's the exact same content. You know, we, we talked about this a lot in our class before. So those are the three divisions, and I'm going somewhere with this, but these are the three divisions that the Jewish people maintain in their Old Testament. Yeah, click it. And now, you may have heard of the Tanakh. 
don't know. No one's heard of the Tanakh. But I've heard the word. I didn't know what it was. That's where they get the Tanakh from. They take Torah, Nevium, and Ketuvim, kind of combine those words together, wow. and they call them the Tanakh. That's good. Now, where this is important, there's going to be a couple of ways this is important. Several times in the Gospels, Jesus refers to the, the law, the prophets, and the writings because that's how Jesus saw the Hebrew Bible. Right. So that's how he saw it. So um, I'm going to go ahead and So what happened is, uh, you guys may have heard of, the, of this guy. I made him brown because he's questionable. But anyway, the Apocrypha came out, the, the Apocryphal books. I think I actually have a slide on that. Yeah. Uh, the Apocrypha are a set of writings that came out in that uh, that that time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. You know, it's during the Maccabean Wars. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. There you go. My prop order. Yeah. Good. The Apocrypha are a set of books that came out. Uh, and they just kind of been floating around. Uh, I don't know if you guys have read. I've read the Apocrypha. I don't know if Steve has too. It's uh, interesting. It's historically uh, it's kind of interesting, especially Bell and the, and the Dragon. That's always been my favorite. But the books of the Apocrypha were never accepted by the Jews. That's the thing. The Apocryphal books teach a lot of weird things. They teach salvation by works. They teach the doctrine of purgatory by praying for the dead. That's a common theme in the Apocrypha. Uh, unbiblical practices that it's okay to lie, especially in the Maccabean books. It's okay to lie if the end result is something good. You know, it's, it's never good to do wrong to do right. That thing. But anyway, the Apocryphal books have a lot of weird stuff in them. The Jews never accepted them as scripture. It's not the Tanakh. Um, the Roman historians, yeah, there were a lot of historians at the time, like Josephus and Pliny, that would write about the practices of the Jews in the temple. And they would always talk about the 24 books of the Tanakh the Apocrypha was never part of it. Um, however, that's why I'm kind of taking our time with this, our Catholic friends uh, believe it is. So in a Catholic Bible, many of the Apocryphal books are included in their scripture, as scripture. Uh, the Council of Hippo uh, actually deemed them part of scripture. So, if you have friends at work that are Catholics, you may get into the Apocrypha conversation. Well, the Christians don't have, you know, we don't have the Apocrypha. Well, there's a reason we don't. The teaching in it is uh, not biblical, frankly. And the Jews even rejected it at the time. And they, all through history, they've rejected it. They don't accept these as scripture. So we're kind of taking our cue from them. We agree with them on this issue. So, so they would say that there's some historical value. Yes. Uh, but not part of the canon of Scripture. Not part of the canon of Scripture. That's a good way of putting it. They're historical value. And it's even interesting. Uh, 
I just love Bell and the Dragon. I've, I've mentioned it a couple times in here. That's the little story about Daniel. People trying to sneak into the tem temple and do things. So Daniel had the idea of putting powder all over the floor and seeing the footprints on how many perpetrators are involved. And it's a cute little story about Daniel. I don't know if it really happened or not, but that's what one of those books are about. Uh, and then the Maccabeans, that's all about the Maccabean Wars. So that's interesting. I don't have time to get into that. So anyway, that's the Apocrypha. Uh, that's the list of apocryphal books. Um, I don't think of anything. Baruch. Yeah, that's our. Uh, yeah. Does anyone know? Remember who Baruch? What he did for us? We just came off of two years of Baruch. What was that? Yes, Baruch is the guy that that uh, yeah worked with Jeremiah to give us the book of Jeremiah. Yeah, that's who Baruch is. So this is like the Gospel or the account of Baruch or something. It wasn't really significant. But. All right. So that's the Apocrypha. Any questions on that? Okay. The next one. I didn't even make a bucket for this one because this one is so far out there. All right. Who has um, who's heard of the Septuagint? Yeah, I think most of us have. Uh, so hopefully you've already heard everything I'm going to get ready to say. Yeah, I don't need that. The Septuagint is something else that we, we run up against a lot as believers, uh, particularly as King James believers, people that believe that we can have pure words of God. We'll run up against people that are big into the Septuagint. Um, what it is, the Septuagint... This is what they claim, not what it is. It's what they claim. Actually, it's time for map. We're getting we're getting about map time. <laughs> Always got a map handy. All right. So this is a map of the uh, Asia or uh, South Asia Minor, Europe, Mid East. There's Jerusalem's right here. Uh, you know, this is all up through uh, Turkey and the Balkans and Italy, France, Europe, all that, Spain. The green is the Roman Empire controlled areas. This, this map is like 100, around 100 AD, a little bit after Jesus. The Romans controlled all of this. Well, remember, before the Romans controlled all of this, does anyone remember who controlled all that? Greece. Man, Batman. I already gave you one. Here, you can give one to someone else. Alexander the Great. And this is all out of Daniel. That's why Daniel is so interesting. Daniel, Alexander the Great took this area before the Romans. And remember, Alexander the Great was Greek. And Greek were the cool kids. Everybody wanted to be Greek. Uh, they spoke Greek. So this whole area spoke Greek. Uh, yeah, Sherry's had enough. <laughs> this heretical teaching up here. The whole area spoke Greek. So, the claim is that around 200 B.C., the Greeks, whoever, translated the Hebrew Bible into Greek so they could be read. The big claim is that Jesus and the disciples used the Septuagint <coughs> to teach. Has anyone ever heard that? 
Yeah, I've heard that many times. That, that Jesus and the disciples actually used the Septuagint, so why aren't you using the Septuagint? You know, that kind of speak. So that's the claim. So Jesus, <laughs> which is really just silly if you think about it. I mean, why would Jesus, these Jews, these Hebrews that spoke Hebrew, want to use Greek? But anyway, that's the, that's, that's the claim. So, here's, the, uh, here's some of the facts that we do know. After Alexander the Great died, he divided up his kingdom, and Egypt was a big part of one of the divisions. And they had a series of Egyptian kings in Alexandria, Egypt. So right now, a red flag should be going off. And uh, this, this king in Alexandria, Egypt, wanted to have a Greek Bible for all of his peeps, basically. So this king in, in uh, Egypt, he, he puts out a call and he collects six Jews, elders, from each tribe. And there's 12 tribes. So you end up with 72 people. Uh, which is, that's where the Septuagint, I mean, like September, Sept is the seven, means seven, so this is the 70, which even right there, I mean, six times 12 is 72, but the book's named 70, so I mean, right out of the gate, it's sketchy. But he brings in 72 Jewish elders. All right, so now there's another problem. The scribes, the tribe of Levi, had responsibility to maintain the scriptures and the temple. So what are all these other guys doing from the tribe of Dan and Naphtali and all, all these other tribes doing translating scriptures for this king in Alexandria? I mean, that's, it's just falling apart. So that's not really biblical. Well, it gets worse. So the king takes these 72 Jewish guys brings them to Alexandria, Egypt puts them all in a room by themselves and tells them to translate the first five books of Moses, the law, the Torah. And lo and behold, after a period of time, they come out and every single one of the 72 are exact same. Well, that's a sign from God that God's in this because they're all the same. So that's just funny. It's a joke. That would never happen. All the 72 guys are translated the same. The, the whole story of this is in this letter of Aristeus, which uh, I've read it. It's silly. Uh, so it's kind of silliness. The whole Septuagint is silliness. There's no historical evidence that the Septuagint happened this way. There's no historical evidence that it happened in 250 BC. There's no historical evidence from the Jewish people that they were being called out by this king in Alexandria. You know, my Uncle Bob was in on the translation of this, of this, and there's none of that. So, you know, we can take that with, for what it's worth. Uh, yeah, these are the facts about the Septuagint. There's no record of it. Well, there's no record of the request. There's no record of the Septuagint until around 350 A.D. Around 350 A.D. in Alexandria, Egypt, this, this Septuagint book starts showing up. Lo and behold, you guys have probably heard of Origen. There's a character named Origen that we'll talk about him next week. 
I'll just get it out of the way now. Origen was a nut job. He was a weird Greek uh, philosopher, kind of Christian. You know, he would quote scripture. But he was good, did a lot of weird stuff. Castrated himself. Didn't believe the Bible was even true. I mean, he was just a weird bird. Hexop the Hexopola. Okay, Origen in Alexandria, Egypt. <laughs> puts out a book. It's called the Hexopla. Hex meaning six. It's a six-column book that is a translation of, of the Old Testament and parts of the New. Uh, he's got some Greek version. He's got a Latin version. He's got like several Greek versions from friends of his. And there ends up being six versions of, of translations. One of them is an exact replica of the Septuagint. It's like, okay, the Septuagint, we believe, you know, scholars, people that study this, that the Septuagint is just simply one of those columns that someone pulled out of Origen's book and say, hey, look, we had a Greek Bible in 250 BC, but we're just now showing everybody in 350 or so. So anyway, that's where the Septuagint, we believe, comes from. Um, there's lots of quotes in the Septuagint of the Old Testament. None, none of them are Septuagint. The Septuagint is quite a bit different. And you can go on Amazon today and buy a Septuagint. I've been wanting to just for kicks, but you can get them. You can get it. Now I want you to go there. But another thing that's interesting, you know, Jesus refers to the jot and tittle several times in scriptures. The jot and tittle is a very Hebrew, like punctuation. It's not Greek. It's not in the Greek. It's not in Septuagint. So Jesus is not using the Septuagint. He's using, and the Septuagint, quinky dink, it divides up the Old Testament books in a, the way we have them today in our Christian, you know, 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Chronicles. It's a Christian division of the Old Testament. So Jesus, whenever he's referring to the prophets' writings and the, the law, that's, that's an Old Testament that's a Hebrew Bible, so it's, it's very clear Jesus is using a Hebrew Bible. Uh, that's what that is there. You guys tracking with me on <coughs> Septuagint? Yeah. The letter of Aristeas, uh, it's a bogus letter. It's full of all kinds of errors. When I was reading through it, I mean, it mentions people, places in Israel. It, it, everything about it is just junk. So... Uh, Age, yeah, trying to look for something good here. It does have the Apocrypha. Origen, Origen is basically an early Catholic. He really brought in the concepts of baptism for the kids and for salvation and things like that. So it's uh, very it's got the Apocrypha. And again, the the Jews flat out reject the Septuagint, just like they did the Apocrypha. So when you're at work and someone wonders why you're not using the Septuagint, those are just high-level reasons why. So, like Mythbusters, I bust this myth. It is not a Bible translated in 250 BC. It's a a ripoff of Origins Hexopola, column number six, that they're trying to pass off as authentic slipping us the Apocrypha at the same time and telling us that Jesus used it. I mean, everything about this book is just no good. So we gotta, we gotta run, not walk from that thing.
Alright. So we'll move on. Any questions there? Man, I gotta I gotta hurry up. I'm not even gonna get done. Jeez. Alright, so now I just put down some things in your handout, some things about the Old Testament canon. We kind of covered all that. Now three so our Old Testament we have today, there's there's primarily three sources that get us what we have. Number one is the old Masoretic texts. You know, Steve brought this up a few weeks ago. You, know, you hear that a lot here at HBF. Uh, Randy teaches this in D2. Uh, we're going to talk about what that is here in a second. So that's, that's one source of Old Testament uh, evidence that we have. Another source uh, is the Samaritan Pentateuch. You know, we all know how the Samaritans and the, and the Jewish didn't really get along. Um, the Samaritans, well, I don't want to spend a lot of time on them, but the Samaritans actually had their version of the Old Testament. Actually, not the Old Testament. The Samaritans are stuck in the law. The Samaritans actually are, remember Deuteronomy 32, I think? Uh, whenever Moses on, is on top of the mountain, Giza. They're getting ready to go into the promised land, and he gives them all the cursings and judgments, uh, uh, how they need to act in the promised land to keep the land. The, uh, our Samaritan friends, and they're still around today, are kind of stuck right there on that mountain, Mount Gezeria. Gezira. What's that? Gerizim? Yeah, Gerizim. Gerizim. Yes, and uh, they only believe the, the law, the first five books of Moses. So they have lots of copies of that, and they still use it today. So that's, that's kind of a source of evidence. Uh, even the woman at the well, whenever uh, she's talking with Jesus, she makes a comment about, do we worship on this mountain, or Jerusalem? That's what the Hebrews did. So she's even back then, they were still on the mountain. So anyway, we have a lot of those that we can kind of compare to. There's 300 of them. And then there's these ancient texts and fragments, copies of the Old Testament that are in these other languages. And now, the Geniza. I wanted to talk about the Geniza for a second, because this is really interesting. We actually have one in Kansas City. What do we do with our old Bibles? You got a Bible, and it's like wore out. You know, we'll typically rebind it if we can, but uh, I think if it's really wore out, a lot of us will just put it on the shelf and I've got several old Bibles on the shelf that I don't even use anymore because they're all wore out of pages and this and that. Well, our Jewish friends, way back, thousands of years ago, they started uh, a tradition, actually this started in Babylon whenever they were exiles. They come up with the idea of this Geniza. So when their Bible wears out, the Jewish people, Jewish folks, when their, when their Hebrew Bible wears out, they'll have a little ceremony and they'll bury it. And uh, I actually watched some of them are even like funeral cemeteries. I mean, they really reverence the Word of God. And we, we can actually learn a lot from them, of course. Um, the Jewish folks will like decorate their Bibles and, and like they're like really a, a thing. They really reverence it. They don't leave them in the back of their car window at Walmart, like I, I see sometimes. Uh, they really reverence these things. So whenever they, they are wore out after years of use, they put them in this hidden little compartment in the temple called the Geniza. And that's the definition. I got that off the Jewish learning. But um, and what it looks like 
Yeah, and we have one here in Kansas City. If you're a Jewish person in Kansas City, we have a Geniza. So what they do is if you have any kind of writing or your, your old Bible or anything that has the Word of God in it, you don't just throw it in the trash or you know you put it on your shelf, but they have this little ceremony where they, they dispose of it. Uh, we have one in Kansas City, and these are some examples. You know, they, they even have like funerals for them. They put them all in that, that, that cast there. But what is cool is over the centuries, we archaeologists have found like these huge Genesis all over the world where these Jewish folks, you know, especially through here, are disposing of their old Bibles. So we have thousands of these guys to look at. So that's kind of cool, the Geniza. Yeah, that's a Geniza. So, all right, so that's honorable mention. So back on. So now we're going to talk about the Masoretic texts. This is where our Bible comes from, our, our Old Testament. Yeah, hmm. There it is. I think I may have skipped. Yeah, okay, the, the Masoretes. Got a selfie there today. <laughs> all right, I found that. I thought that was cool. In, okay, here's what happened. I always got to talk about the history because to me it makes more sense if I know the history behind why people do what they do. The, um, during the time of Jesus, a little bit after, more of the time of Paul, the Romans came in, they sacked Rome. You know, we know this. And uh, they pretty much run the Jewish folks out of Israel for a while. And that's what we, we call the diaspora. I talked about that a month or two ago when I talked about the history of Israel. So the Jewish folks like spread through the kingdom. Because remember, the Romans respected the Jewish religion. It was an ancient religion. Romans are down with ancient stuff, so they, they didn't give these they didn't give the Jews any problems. You don't hear of a lot of persecutions of Jews in the Roman Empire. They respected the Jews. Christians, that's a different story because we were new. But they didn't persecute the Jews. The Jews spread throughout the Roman Empire and by around 3 or 400 AD the Hebrew language was getting diluted. Jews were speaking Latin now or Greek and the, the Jewish elders were concerned that we're losing our language and our oral traditions and such. So uh, a family of people band together, they're called the Masoretes. They're up in Tiberias, this is where they started. And their mission was, we've got to preserve the Hebrew language. And we need to preserve our Hebrew Bible because it's getting diluted in the Roman Empire. Basically is what their purpose was. So what they did is they got their, they got their stuff and they came up with this method they were highly skilled scribes, and I've got to—I'll show you some of the rules here in a second. Um, they wanted to meticulously copy all of the the Word of God. They—they um, they, unfortunately they added some things for us. They added pronunciation helps. I think I mentioned a few weeks ago that the Hebrew language had no vowels, so when you're reading Hebrew. It's, it's all uppercase, and there's no vowels, so it's, it's be tough to translate. So they added these little helps to help people what the words really are. They added, uh, it's called cantillation, but they added like a little musical note so that people can chant the Old Testament. 
Um, and they, they did a lot of word counts and statistics, kind of like a concordance kind of thing. But they were masters at preserving the Old Testament text. Alright, so let's move on here. That's kind of what it looked like. That's just uh, out there on the, uh, the government runs an archive site. You can look at, you, it's really cool. You can look up any Bible, like Geneva, whatever, any Bible. They've got a copy of it online. You can actually look at it. Um, this is kind of ugly here. So I found a, a version that's kind of before and after the Masoretes got a hold of it. I'm not sure what I hit there. Technical difficulty. Well, that's weird. One moment, please. That's a. That is odd. No, I hit a button. Second. Technical difficulty. Uh, current slide. Yeah. All right, so I found the before and after. Uh, that's the Maserite. This is before the Maserites got a hold of it. After they got a hold of it, they've added all these little... They, they also added some spaces between words. That's another thing. The, the old Hebrew had no spaces. Uh, little marks, how to pronounce things. So they really helped us out a lot. So I thought this would be... This is something you, I read this in a book one time, and it, it, it made an impact on me. If you were translating the Old Testament, Hebrew, there's no vowels, there's no spaces, and you come across this phrase, it's like, wow, that's, I have no idea what that is. Well, the Masoretes added the vowels. So now you've got this phrase. Does anyone want to take a guess of what that <laughs> says? It's God is now here. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it could be God is nowhere, yeah. or God is now here. So that's how tricky, that's how careful they had to be when they translated this stuff. You, you know, God is now here, and God is nowhere. <laughs> so yeah, I've seen that in a book. So the Masoretes, the Masoretes left us lots of um, copies of their text. <laughs> What's cool is. You know, the, our Jewish friends, they, they're, they're keeping it to themselves. So, some of these uh, books are written like, you know, 800 AD, but we just got access to it in 83. So, all these years, these guys are, are keeping this stuff close to the vest, our Jewish friends are, and they're just kind of letting us have it in time. Now, the, the Codex Aleppo, each one of these has a very interesting history. The, my favorite's the Aleppo Codex, Aleppo, Syria. It was actually part of the Crusades, you know, the Catholics stole it for a while, then they got it back, and now it's in the museum in Jerusalem. Uh, but lot, lots of Masoretic texts are in museums and libraries around the world. Now this one here, the Mikrot Gedalot, this is the text, it's a complete, complete Old Testament, Masoretic text. This is what our King James translators used in 1603 through 11 when they translated our English Bible. So our English language Old Testament is a direct translation from the Mikot Gedalot, which is a Masoretic text. That's actually where our Bible came from. Yeah, so that's cool there. So these are some of the rules that they followed, the Masoretes. There's even more. I just kind of picked the ones that were interesting, but they just you know, clean animals, only Jews can do the copying, uh, strings from the clean animals, 
all the columns, black ink, special recipe for the ink. I thought that was pretty neat. They don't just grab a bick or whatever, they do special ink. Uh, the original that they're using must be authentic. I like the saying each word aloud. You know, that is a way that we use today still to memorize scripture. Uh, and then they talk about the spacing of the hairs. And, yeah, he must wash his whole body before he starts copying. I mean, they really reverenced the Word of God. They knew what they were handling. So I, I just really respect that. Uh, yeah, wipe his pen clean before he wrote the Word of God. Um, you scroll had to be checked. Yeah, check for accuracy. So, yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. The Masoretes. So we owe a lot to the Masoretes. And that, that's why the Old Testament evidence for where our Old Testament came from is a lot simpler. It's because of these guys that were so good. So then on the bottom of your handout, on the back, you know, I thought I'd throw together a little timeline just to kind of pull things together. Um, actually, I think I got shaved off a little bit. So we had the original writings of our Old Testament, you know, Jeremiah and all, all the Old Testament books. Well, whenever they went into captivity, the, Jew, the, the Jews teach that Ezra, the scribe from the tribe of Levi, kind of put the orders together and kind of started uh, canonizing, is what the word we use, the, the official scripture list. So Ezra kind of compiled that, and up until the time of Christ, they kept that. Now one thing they did do, and I've seen pictures of it, and it's, it's actually on the Isaiah scroll that's in the library yet, that Steve probably saw, but they, at this time, they still did not have chapter verse markings that we're all familiar with today. Um, really no early Bible did, but the Jews started... Uh, a little system of adding tick marks and spaces to kind of indicate chapter, the ends of chapters, even though they didn't have chapters yet. Well, then the Masoretes preserved it for us all through the ages up until before 1611. And right before um, next week, we're going to talk about a good, good guy named Erasmus and Stephanus. Those guys, particularly Stephanus, really went through our Bibles and added the chapter verse marks that we all know and love today. So until the 1500s, there were no like organized spaces, chapters, or verses in the Old Testament. That came about in the 1500s. The 1611 translators picked it up. They honored the chapters, verses, and spaces that were put in it by Stephanus, and that's where we got our Bible. That's right where our Old Testament comes from, from that timeline. So, Any questions on that? No, that's great. Yeah, that's, that's where it comes I, from. I appreciate yeah. what you put together. Yeah, us. and uh, the New Testament is quite a bit different, and that's what we'll start next week. Uh, if we had a few minutes, I was going to talk about the Dead Sea Scrolls. I know Steve went there. Yep. and seen them, but the Dead Sea Scrolls is like, how does that impact all this? You know, we're, we're, how does that change what we believe? Well, it doesn't. You guys probably know the story. Uh, there was a group of Jews back around Jesus' time. They were kind of like the Amish. 
They were they they liked to be separate. They were called the Essenes. They lived off on their own in this little city called Qumran. It's on the Dead Sea. And they had their own private library kind of thing where they had they had about 12 caves that we found so far. Uh, where they stuck scrolls and stuff in there, a little library. Now only about 20% of what they stuck in there is like Bible stuff. A lot of it's just like meeting notes from city city meetings and just it's just stuff, shopping lists, books, stuff. But about 20% of it is actual scripture that they had and they stuck in these caves in the clay jars. Um, you know, it was discovered in 47, I think. Uh, initially, they didn't know what they had, so that some of the Jews that found it actually put them on the like New York Times classified ads trying to sell some of them, and it was really funny. But anyway, what's cool is the Old Testament scrolls and things that we did find match up with the Masoretic text. And there's also Septuagint versions in there, or old versions, but... Um, so it didn't change anything. Our Masoretic text is still king. It's still accurate. It's still what we hold fast to. So it didn't change. But but from a historical perspective, it's very interesting that they found this stuff. So anyway, that is it for the Old Testament. No final questions. Next week we're going to start the New Testament, and uh, you know your head may hurt by the time we're done. <laughs> Because that's that's where it gets into that wild rafting ride. There are some funky stuff that went on history-wise to get us our New Testament, and it's a lot of fun to look at. It's a lot of fun to study. Uh, I got more maps, more timelines that I'll break out next week. So I look forward to that. So thanks for coming out, uh, Pat. Would you mind praying for us to the dismisses? Yeah, Karen, that is so sad about Karen. She, you know, Karen, let me say a few words about Karen. Karen Parrott has been a faithful online viewer for years. Um, she was on last Sunday. She's always on. We send her lots of handouts. We send her cards. She's just a sweet lady. I never got the chance to meet her, but, you know. She was sick on Friday, but wow, that was really fast. Man, that was fast. I didn't know she was even... Yeah, that was like a kick in the gut when I found out this morning that she just died this morning. So, very sad. She would be online if she was. So, anyway. Go ahead. Lord, we just uh, we thank you so much this morning as, as we look at uh, your text and your Bible and how it's put together and how you inspired it and how you preserved it. All those things you did so that you could share with us all the goodness that you have for us in salvation 